some fun watching Josh Jackson look a little bit like Justin Timberlake. So welcome to Kensington. My name is Richie Christie. I'm our student ministries director here. If this is your first time, you've been checking us out a little bit. I just want to say welcome. Uh, we plan today with you in mind and we've got a great place uh, designed for first timers and new guests. It's a place called Starting Point that's actually in our lobby. And so if you're looking for a next step or how to get involved, there may be some questions answered about Kensington. That's the place for you. And so when you leave today, uh, make sure you check that out in the lobby uh, before you head home. But we're really uh, excited about what we got going on today. We're in the middle of a three-week series called It's Just a Phase, and I'm really excited about it because we're really talking about the idea of uh, how, to, how to parent well and then how the church and families can come together to make the greatest impact on our students and families, uh, which is really my heart because I get to oversee our 6th through 12th grade students here at Kensington Shelby. And uh, if you didn't know, 
we've got three kind of family ministries involved for your kids. Uh, so kindergarten to fifth grade, we have a place called K-Kids that meets every week uh, back uh, in the K-Kids wing of Kensington. And then we've got Breakaway, which is our middle school program that's sixth through eighth grade. And then Edge, our high school ministry that's ninth through twelfth grade. And we've got some awesome stuff coming up for all of those. And really our heart for, for students and families here is that, that we'd create spaces for these kids to explore their faith wherever they're at in their journey. But it wouldn't just uh, we wouldn't just be thinking about right now, but where are they going to be in the future? And so we're also thinking about the long game and, and how to make an impact so that when they leave here, they graduate, go off into the next step of life. Have we given them a faith that they can hold on to? And one of the ways that we believe that happens most is on mission trips and events like stuff we have coming up this summer. And so this summer, we're actually taking all of our students from every campus through 6th through 12th grade, and we're going on a summer student serve camp mission trip uh, to Racine, Wisconsin. If you're asking, why are we going? there. It's actually an old industrial town that really through the course of the century has just become into a really rough place. And so we're going to go in and partner with the city uh, to really serve the people in need that are there. And so we'll be doing work projects and really just being the hands and feet of Jesus. And if you didn't know, if your student went to every Edge Breakaway or K-Kids all year, we'd probably see them for a total of 60 hours. And so when we get them for this whole week, we really see double the impact um, and influence on their faith. And so if you're a parent, I highly encourage whether your kid comes to edge or break away, get them there because we've never seen uh, as much impact as we do on trips like this. It's going to be great. And then second we have coming up for our middle schoolers, we have an event called Takeover. And so I want you to picture this, all right? We're going to pack 500 middle schoolers on buses and stay up all night long traveling to Dave and Busters, a trampoline park, swimming pools, go-karts, uh, an escape room, you name it. It's going to be complete chaos, but it is so fun. And so here's what I need from you guys. Uh, we need a bunch of Red Bulls for the night uh, to get through it. Just kidding. Don't give us Red Bulls to middle schoolers. It's a whole horrible idea. But it's going to be great. We're really excited. So if you got a middle schooler or no one, get them there. Invite their friends. It's a great event to invite uh, uh, new kids too as well. It's going to be awesome. But for parents and families, we've got two things that I want to put on your radar as well. After this series, it's just a phase, we're going to start a class for you parents called Intentional Parenting. And the class is completely designed to take you from just surviving parenting to thriving and how to do it uh, with God at the center. And it's going to be great. You're not going to want to miss that class. Uh, you can find out more about that in the lobby and get connected. And then also, not this Friday, but next Friday, we have a Shelby Campus Worship night. We're going to be doing it in the Troy Chapel next Friday night. And so parents, if you need to get babysitters, get them, but you can bring the whole family. It's going to be a family event, just a night of worship for our Shelby family to come together uh, and worship Jesus. So we want to invite you to that as well. But last and certainly not least, uh, if you haven't been in Kensington very long, uh, you might not know that one of the best things we do here is our global partners. And so we've got a bunch of different global partners around the world that we do ministry with. And one of the things that uh, we do in three of them is a thing called No Child Sponsorship. And so it's really a child sponsorship program where you would be paired up with an individual child um, from one of the countries that we partner with and really provide the essentials for them, right? And so food, water, uh, housing, whatever it might be. Uh, but really the core thing that you provide is a chance at education. And so in countries where that's not necessarily provided or just inherited, you get to provide an education for a student. And I actually, two summers ago, got to go to Kenya with our EDGE uh, high school team. And we literally got to go to a high school where people are uh, sponsoring these, these children. And so we got to put faces to the program and really get to hear these kids' stories and they're writing letters back to their direct sponsor. And so it's not just like you sign up for this thing and you give money and then whatever. No, you get paired up with an individual and get to see them grow up and see the impact that your um, giving makes on their life. And so if that's something that interests you, we want to invite you into that. You can check that out at the Info Center and get more information about that because it's one of the amazing things we do uh, here at Kensington. And so that's that's all I got for you today. We've got an awesome, awesome service plan for you. Uh, but before we do that, why don't you stand up, say hello to a neighbor, and we'll get going.
on the back. She took her first Look at step. Her. Have a great day, sweetie. I hope she'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. (laughs) We'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know.
like a sucker punch, isn't it? Kind of hits you hard. Have all sorts of memories that come back and thoughts about your kids when they were little or even maybe your growing up years. And it's interesting. This is a song written by Taylor Swift. And when she wrote this song, she had just bought her first apartment, her first place. She was living in a city. She bought this apartment. It was just under $2 million. I know, right? And she gets to this this house, her first home, and she has her, you know, her career skyrocketing, money's no problem. She has everything that the world has to offer. Everything, fame, beauty, money, everything that we strive for, that we, we even want to teach our kids to strive for. And she sat in that apartment alone and missed her family. She missed her relationships with the people that she loved and the people that she had poured into and who had poured into her life. So we thought it played completely into our topic today, which is parenting. And we're in week two of our series called It's Just a Phase. And my name is Kristen Schoenbeck, and I am the campus director for our Shelby campus and, and glad to be able to speak to you about this topic. Oftentimes as parents, we say, oh my gosh, it's just a phase, right? That terrible twos. If we can just get through the twos or heck, I mean, heck, heck to the no on the teen years. Like, what's that all about? If we can just make it through. But in this conversation and in our series, we're actually talking about it is just a phase. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. How do we parent through the phases wisely? How, are, how do we make the most of our time and the decisions and the things we do during the phases of our kids' lives? And so last week we talked about combining the church and the home. So if the church speaks into kids and has influence and the home, we as parents speak into our kids and have influence, what does it look like when we combine those voices and two influences speak the same language and become stronger to develop our children spiritually and socially and in all areas? And this week we're talking about the topic of time. And time is a really interesting thing for me. I spent a lot of time thinking about this in the last few weeks. And I thought about time. And time is both a subjective and an objective word, isn't it? It's objective because time counts, right? You can look at a clock and it goes tick, 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 tick. 60 seconds in a minute. 60 minutes in an hour. It's objective. But it's subjective because do you remember when you were little and it was right before lunchtime, whatever your class was, right before lunchtime, mine was math. Do you remember like having your stomach growl, looking at the clock, thinking she will never stop talking? When does she stop talking? When do I get to go to lunch? Time just seemed to crawl by. Steve Andrews has a great quote that he said that when he was little, a year... Let me pull it up so I don't mess it up because there's a good chance I will. Here we go. He said, when he was little, nope, I missed it, sorry. When I was young, an hour felt like a day. A day felt like a week. A week felt like a month. And a month felt like a year. But now that I'm older, any of, us, any of you with me on this? A year feels like a month. 
And a month feels like a week, and a week, week feels like a day, and a day feels like an hour. Time seems to be subjective, and like when you're young, it's like that roller coaster crawling up to take off, and it just tick, tick, tick seems so slow. And then there's a tipping point. And I don't know when that happened in my life, but it definitely happened when suddenly time is like a roller coaster swooshing down the ramp out of control. You can't get enough of it. And, and you're, it always seems to be escaping your grip and your control. And I think that happens in our life. And there's always a point somewhere in our lives where we realize that time is near the end. And I don't know if you've had those moments in your life, but I have had them in my life. And I'll never forget in that ICU unit with my mom in her last days, watching that heart monitor go bleep, bleep, bleep. And then it stopped. And it was just a flat line. And in that moment, in that ICU room, I'll never forget, I was with my sister. I never once thought, gosh, I wish my mom had spent more time at her job. I wish my mom had left the house a little cleaner for us as kids. I never once thought that. Instead, I remembered all of her precious idiosyncrasies that made Bonnie, Bonnie. Her creative side, the way she loved people, the way she used color, and and all the funny little words she'd say. Those were the things that were spinning in my mind during those days and for months and even years afterwards. She had a clock in her art classroom. She had a real clock, like the digital, you know, like not the digital kind, the analog kind that tick, 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 like you could see numbers on it. (laughs) Anybody remember those clocks? She had one in her classroom. She was an elementary education art teacher. And that clock, she had written, uh, she'd made like a sign that circled around it. And she wrote in all multicolor Sharpie pens, pens, because this is my mother. She said, use your minutes wisely. And that stuck in my mind all these years later. Use your minutes wisely. How do we do that? How do we know what wise even means? We have so much information coming from so many different sources as parents. What is wise? What's not? It's pretty difficult to figure that out. And that's what our conversation is going to be today. And here I just want to say I'm speaking primarily to parents in the room. But the principles that we're talking about today, and even the scripture, applies to all relationships. So if you don't have kids, or you are in a situation where your kids are long gone, these conver- this conversation applies to relationships with your spouse, with your friends, with your neighbors, and even to your kids who are long gone. So let's just take a minute and ask God's blessing on this day. Holy God, thank you. Thank you that you designed families. It was no mistake. Thank you, God, that it mirrors our relationship with you. And Lord, teach us today, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Teach us today what you want us to know and what you want us to walk away with. In your name I pray, amen. We're going to receive our offering right now. i ask the ushers to come forward. So if you are new at Kensington and if you are a guest with us today at our Shelby campus, take a deep breath, breath and sit back and relax. This moment is not for you. But if you call Shelby campus home, this is a time that you can give back out of the generosity that God has given you. You can give that back. And I just want to make note here that when you give to this offering, you are giving to families. You're giving to what happens in the back in the K-Kids program and the curriculum that we do and the, and the stuff they use every single Sunday to teach different things. You're, you're joining the family and the church together with your um, offering. So thank you for your generosity in advance. So we're going to talk today. We're going we're gonna to dive into um, some different scriptures about what it looks like to use our time well. And, and God is that lots of different ways. And there's some practical application at the end. And I, um, so here's how old I am. I use these to like see you, but I can't read with them. So I have to take them off. <laughs> so I'm going to probably have these on and off a little bit today, but here we are today. We're talking about, um, a Psalm. We're going to take a scripture out of Psalm 90. And last week we talked about Moses. I don't know if you guys were, all of you were here last week, but Moses was the leader of the Israelites. He was famous, not only in the beginning of the Bible, but throughout the generations, his story was told. He was an incredible leader. Incredible, incredible leader. But here's something I never knew about Moses until recently. There's one sentence in in Exodus that simply says this about Moses. It says, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth during his lifetime. 
Now that's kind of ironic because if you understand the incredible influence that Moses had as a leader and over a huge people group, you would not associate that with humility at all, actually. You would associate that with power and leadership and impression and voice. But that's not actually the heart of who Moses was. He was the humblest man, the most humble man who, who lived during that time. And here's the interesting factor here. He was one of the only men to see God face to face. So that tells you the value that God puts on humility. And I think when I read this, this verse in chapter 90 of uh, Psalms, I think I understand a little bit of where Moses is coming from. So we're going to say it together. We're going to, I'm going to read it right now. It's verse 12. It says, teach us to number our days. Teach us, speaking to God, teach us, God, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So what's Moses saying here? Let's break this down. Teach us. What Moses is saying in, in his humility, right, is that I don't have the answers, God. I don't know, but I need an expert. I need someone who has the answers, who's been down that road, who's already parented, already been in this relationship. I need you to teach me so I will sit humbly at your feet. That's important that we start the conversation out today with that. Teach us in humility, God. Let us know what you want us to learn from you because you are the one with the answers. You've been down this path, path before. You're the expert. To number our days, the second next part of that verse, to number our days. So have you ever been at a basketball game? And I'm saying basketball because that was my sport. I was six feet tall by the time I was 13. I was recruited to the basketball team when I was in eighth grade at my school. I didn't even know there was a three-second rule or what a foul shot was, much less a layup. And I was playing basketball at a young age. I actually fell in love with it. It was, it was my sport, loved it. And I still tell my kids, see, here's the truth. My kids think I have never played a sport in my life and I'm so unathletic. I literally take out my pictures and have to, like, show them. I once was an athlete, kids, you know. So I I love basketball. That was my thing. Have you ever been at a game where it's like one of those neck and neck, the score is just, you know, one point, two points, three points, four points, and they're just, it's this neck and neck game. And then you get down to the last two minutes of the game. Everything changes, doesn't it? That guy who's been like sitting too close to you the whole time on the bench, you don't care your best friends with him now. And your popcorn, who cares if it spills or if everything is like a mess around you, you're on your feet, you're screaming, you're intent, you're watching everything that's happening on that court. You're assessing in, in milliseconds the speed and the, and the skill of each player. And if they have a chance of hitting the shot or not, you're yelling till your voice can yell no longer. Your focus is completely directed on everything that's happening on the field. There's no interruption to that. And if you're a player on the court during that time, and I was in lots of times where I was in games like that, the only thing I cared about during that time was following my coach's instructions perfectly. Whatever the play he gave me, whatever he told me to do, I knew my job was to make that happen on the court. That was it. I made sure I was in the right spot. I made sure I was ready to receive the ball or block the ball or whatever that looked like. I was ready to follow the instructions my coach had given me. There's something about when we count time, it becomes more important to us. When we get near the end of it, we look back and, and, and it, it becomes precious. It's a precious commodity, isn't it? And I had this illustration today to show you, you guys all have marbles in your hands, don't you? Were you given marbles when you walked in? All right. So this illustration shows us in marbles the number of weeks we have with our kids. So this jar has 936 marbles in it. That's the number of weeks you will have with your child from the day they are born to the day they graduate from high school. 936 weeks. And sometimes when you look at this, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it through 400 weeks, much less 936. Are you kidding me, Kristen, right? But then a funny thing happens over time. They go away. And here's an interesting fact. By the time your kids are nine years old, you have lost half your marbles. <laughs> you got the double play there? Uh-huh. But that's really true. You've lost half your weeks. Half of your time with your child is gone by age nine. By age nine. And here's more. By the time they're nine, they only have 13, 312 weeks left until they get their license. 
until they get their license. And this is where I'm at with my daughter right now. My youngest, by the way. 312 weeks between these two jars before they get their license. And then by the time they get their license, you have between three to four summer vacations left. And they're gone. I know that's like not fair. I shouldn't even be saying this. It's like, oh my gosh, that's horrible, Kristen. And it feels that way, doesn't it? But we need to count the minutes. We need to understand that time is limited. We need to understand that our influence is limited. And we need to make the minutes count. We've been using this orange curriculum for a long time in our kids' programming at Kensington Church. And I talked a little bit about it last week. And it's a great curriculum. And they have all sorts of great parent resources. And one of the things that they have is called the Parent Cue. And I think they're going to show some pictures behind me of what this looks like. There's Henry, Patrick Holden's little boy, and he put Henry into the Parent Q app. You can download this app on your phone, and I did this this week. And I hadn't done it before, and I was sitting in a meeting, and I thought, okay, I'm going to see what this parent app is all about. This looks really cool. And I downloaded it, and I put in my daughter, who's 15 years old. I put in her birth date and her information. It was real easy to do. And there she is. So I look at the screen as it first comes up, and I see that I've got 800, and she's 832 weeks old. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so fun. Isn't that great? And then I look up and I see the very top of the screen in the middle of this meeting. And it said, Addie has 128 weeks left till she graduates. And I just want, I mean, it was a sucker punch. I was ready to get up and leave the meeting. I was like, oh my gosh, I got to go find my kid. I don't have much time left. This is unbelievable. And as sad as it is, it's not a guilt trip. It's not a let's get depressed about it. It's let's focus in and let's parent with the end in mind. How do we play for keeps? How do we win the game? It's not in the last two minutes. It never was. It starts with the strategy we have at the beginning. So let's play for keeps. Let's look to the end and let's parent toward that goal. And that means your relationships. For some of you who aren't parents, what does that look like in your marriage? What would that look like with your relationship with family members? How do we build into our relationships the tools so that we're playing for keeps? And that's our conversation today. Let's keep going back to the verse Moses wrote here. So, teach us to number our days to gain a heart of wisdom. So somehow when we value the time that we have left, when we value the minutes that we have to pour into our families, somehow that gives us a heart of wisdom. So I was kind of like, What's, what are you talking about here, Moses? I'm not, tra- I'm not tracking. How does wisdom connect with that? So I started looking up what, the, what Scripture says God's wisdom is. And here's something interesting I want to say. As parents, and even in relationships we have with other people, there is all sorts of wisdom out there, isn't there? We hear it from our friends. We hear it from our families. We see it on social media. We see it on TV, in movies. We have all sorts of input coming at us all the time, whether we want it or not. What about our past experiences? We bring that into it as well. So we need to know what God has to say about wisdom and what that looks like in our families and as we parent and in our relationships outside of our families. Here it is, James 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. So I threw that verse in there as well. It it sets up the opposite. I'm giving you the opposite picture of what wisdom looks like. Jealousy and selfish ambition are the opposite of wisdom. We'll keep going. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure and peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's God's wisdom. And I'm going to say in my own life and in my parenting and even in my relationships, I don't think I rely on God's wisdom enough. 
when Andrew was about third grade, my oldest son, he was, um, it was one of those parent, you know, those like parent open houses that you, you, you go to at night. So we went to this parent open house, Paul and I did, and we were waiting outside the classroom for the teacher. And in the hallway, she had like a bulletin board with all the kids work on it that they had done the week before. And each kid had been given a, di- a, a copy and they had to fill out stuff like your favorite food and, you know, your favorite thing you like to do, hobby, whatnot. And one of the questions that it asked was, favorite thing to do at recess? So I find Andrews and, you know, I'm comparing his handwriting to the other kids and his spelling to the other kids. And is he, is he, you know, I'm like crazy mom that I am. So we get into this thing about what I like to do at recess. And he says, he has written there, I like to go off by myself in the trees and sing songs. All right. I know my kid and like, I, that is not my child. So I'm like, the hairs on the back of my head are sticking up and I'm like, Paul, do you see this? And he's like, oh yeah, isn't that great? I'm like, oh no, that's not great. Something's wrong here, right? So I, we get home from the, um, from the meeting with the teacher and I crawled into bed with Andrew. He was already in bed. And I said, hey, buddy, tell me about this. I saw that you wrote this about recess. And Andrew's super logical and analytical, even in third grade. And he said, hey, mom, um, yeah, by the time, mom, the kids are in third grade, they really are good at soccer. Remember when you pulled me out of soccer, like in first grade? You know, like I'm like, oh, yes, Andrew, you were super slow, Andrew. You were waving to the crowd the whole time, Andrew. You know, it's like, yes, Andrew, honey, I do. He said, well, mom. These kids have been in soccer this whole time, and they know how to pass and kick. And when they pick the soccer teams at recess, they don't pick me. So, Mom, instead, I go off in the corner of the playground where there's a bunch of trees, and I sing songs to Jesus, and I pray to him. And so I'm like, oh, honey, that's great. Thanks. Have a good night. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, that is not the goals I have for my child. I want him to have friends. I want him to be like be social. I want him to be liked. So I'm not kidding you. In a millisecond, I was on Amazon. This is true story. I'm on Amazon and I ordered next day shipping. How to play soccer. Soccer for dummies. I ordered a whistle. I did. And it came the next day. And Andrew was at school and I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And I devoured these books. I'm like, I will teach my kid how to have friends. I will figure it out. And by the time he came home from school that day, I'm like, all right, honey, front yard, let's go. I had my whistle on. So true. I can't believe I'm telling you this. I did. And we go out there and I'm teaching him everything I had read in the book. And this went on for three days. And by the time we got to the third day, he looked at me and he said, mom, I don't like soccer. <laughs> I don't want to learn soccer. I don't care. I'm not doing soccer. And I was kind of defeated in that moment. But you see, I miss this. I was listening to my ambition and my goals for my son in third grade. I wasn't stopping to ask God what is peaceable, what is gentle, what is kind. What do you want for my son, God? And had I done that, I would have been in a different place. I would not have been striving and forcing my son into something that he never wanted. Because this is what God knew that I didn't know at that time. A year later, that same boy was diagnosed with cancer, which you know a little bit about this story if you've ever heard me speak. And he ended up for two and a half years in a hospital room on the fifth floor of Beaumont in Royal Oak. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it mattered more that he knew how to play soccer or that he had spent that year spending time with God in the woods at recess? You see, God knew, but I didn't. And I put my selfish ambition in front of the wisdom that God could have given me if I had chosen to rely on it. And that's a choice we make as parents. And it's difficult. And you get lost in the weeds. But it's an important choice to make and to do well. So Jesus spent some time with some children in Matthew chapter 19. And I want to take this passage apart. And I want to learn how Jesus prioritized children and what he did with them when he spent time with them. So let's look at Matthew 19. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
So here's the scene. Jesus is pretty popular at this point. He's got crowds and crowds of people that are coming to him and wanting to hear from him and spending time with him. He has a huge ministry. He has a big job in front of him. And he knows his time is limited. He knows that more than anyone. And now, all of a sudden, off to the side, some parents bring their little ones over. And the disciples are like, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is way too important. He's got way too much on his plate to spend time with you guys. Back off. And watch how Jesus responds. Verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he placed his hands on them, he went on from there. I think that verse, the last verse, really explains God's view of not only the kids, but how we should parent. He says at the very beginning, let the little children come to me. What's he doing? He's giving them his time. He's giving them his time. He's walking away from all the important adults, the ministry that he had, his job. And he's saying, stop everything. Let them come to me. I want to spend time with these children. And I have some practical ways that I have learned from families that I have been around and observed and even our own family of how to do that well. So here's a few rules that we have in our home, a few things we've done to try to figure out how to use our time well with our children. One is there's no cell phones at our table. There are no cell phones allowed at our dinner table. And you know who the worst culprit of the cell phone breaking rule is? Me. And my daughter has permission, to, and she does, mind you, to call me out in that. She has permission to say, Mom, put your phone away. This is time that we spend as a family. We eat together. As best we can. That's not always possible. I know that. But spend time with your kids and eat with them and put the phones away and make them do the same. And you know what else? When we have guests over our house, and we have some that come over a lot, often, same people. They all know the rule. There's no cell phones at the Schoenbeck dinner table. It just doesn't happen. Another way you can spend time with your kids is to have eye contact with them. I'm telling you, this is a difficult thing. Addie would come home from school, and this was our time together. I'd be chopping the vegetables and getting dinner ready, and she'd be sitting at the island doing her homework, and she would start first hour, and she would begin to list her day to me. And if I interrupted her, or I got busy, or a phone rang or something, she would start again at the top of the day. Like, I was like going to go crazy with this. And then I realized that, we went to parent conference thing, a conference meeting for her, her freshman year in high school. I knew every single teacher. And when they were telling me stories about her in school, I knew everything about those stories. I knew who she sat next to. I knew who drove her crazy. I knew who she liked. I knew the teacher's pets and the, and the kids in the class the teachers didn't like. Because I had been spending hours with her, asking her questions, and even giving her eye contact instead of cutting the carrots all the time and finding out about her day. I don't do that well. Time is not my love language naturally. But that is something that just wove into our days because she did her homework right in the kitchen with me. And we began to just have this relationship. So it became natural. Another way. This is a really cool thing Pam Ford does. She prays over her kids before they walk out to school for the day. So she just quickly puts her hand on them and makes a real short prayer. Lord, protect, protect Chaz today. Give him a great day. Help him to find you in this day somewhere. Amen. She speaks about her faith openly and often and doesn't make it weird. Hey, let's sit down. We're going to have an hour and a half time with God. No, no, no. It's just normal and it's natural. It's a really cool example of how to do that. Um, choose Sunday. Don't miss church. This day matters. And you're here. You're doing a great job. Your kids are back there. You're doing a great job. In our home, I was the one that always wanted to skip Sunday. My husband was the one who kept us on a schedule for sure. I was always, oh, Saturday night went late. Let's just sleep in. But he's like, get up, kids. We'll go to church. And not that church is the rule. It's that you value it as a parent. You value learning about God and talking about him. And that sermons are caught. They are not taught. When they see that in your life, when your kids or your family members are watching that in your life, it becomes something that they absorb into theirs. And it might not happen 
in fifth grade, ninth grade, even in college or even in middle school. I mean, even when they first get married, but you wait till they have kids and you watch what happens. Right? All right. Keep going. We're going to go back to the verse. So. Jesus is saying, let the little children come unto me. Give them some time. The second thing he says is, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. He's speaking out over these kids. Remember, these kids were not relevant in the society that Jesus was speaking to at the time. They weren't relevant. But he says something that is incredibly relevant and that changes their position in front of everyone's eyes. He says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He spoke identity over these kids. God himself connects with these kids. You will see God through your children. The kingdom of God belongs to our kids. That's unbelievable. And let me tell you as a parent, one of the things that I noticed that broke my heart the most was that for my kids, the entire, everywhere they went and every interaction they had, they were told that their identity was based on how they performed in the game last night, how they performed in practice, how they performed in the classroom. It was so performance-based by not only their friends, they got friends based on their performance. If you perform better, you have more friends. Everything in the world told them that their identity was based on how they behaved, how they looked, and what they did. So who begins to tell them where true identity comes from if it's not us as parents speaking that out all the time for them? When Mitchell in college got so sidetracked because his roommate told him in a volleyball like intramural tournament and he missed a ball and called him out on it and made fun of him. He got so sidetracked by that he called me that night furious. He like wanted to take out his roommate who he loved And when I heard him saying that, I'm like, no, 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 this has nothing to do with what Andrew said. It has everything to do with the fact that Mitchell believes what Andrew said. That Mitchell believes he's not a good enough athlete. That Mitchell believes he's not good enough and his identity is rooted in that. And I remembered what I have called him since he's been four years old. Mitchell, you're a warrior. You're a warrior for God. You speak to God and you hear from God and you will fight for him. You do not give up. Even though you take two steps forward and one step backward, you keep stepping. And I know it. I've seen it. Ever since you've been little. So why are you letting Andrew's words identify, become your identity when you know and you've always known that you will fight for God and you're a warrior? Be that man. Be who you were created to be. Because it wasn't what Andrew said or what your teacher said. Who's reminding our kids who they are and how God sees them and how precious and valuable they are and the impact, the impact for God that they were designed to make in this world if it's not us. Who's going to be that voice? It needs to be us. And I'm going to say as a caveat, it's difficult as parents because we feel like our job is to fix the things or help them be better in the areas where they are not good. But eventually that's the only way we begin to see them through that lens. And I know, I know because I did it. And I'm telling you today to refocus, spend time with the Lord, begin to see their unique identity and their strengths and how that translates into the kingdom of God. Because guess what? The kingdom of God belongs to them. So how do we breathe that with God into them? Figure that out. It's powerful. And the last part All right, wait, I'm backing up. I'm telling one more story. Probably going to go a few minutes over, so here I'm just going to apologize. Andrew, my son, my oldest, um, we used to call him jokingly Superman. He used to wear a Superman t-shirt, and he'd wear Superman socks, and he loved Superman. So that became kind of a thing. And about a month ago, I realized, oh my gosh, thinking about identity. I put my kid up on this thing. Like, I made him think he was Superman. Like... That's a fictional character. What kind of pressure was I putting on my son, right? So I called him up, and I'm kind of a little upset and emotional about the whole thing. And remember, this is my analytical son. And he goes, Mom, what book did you just read? (laughs) Right? Don't you love that? I'm like, dude, I'm your parent. Do not speak to me. No, and I'm like, no, seriously, Andrew, I'm worried about this. He's like, Mom. He goes, do you want to know why I always love Superman? Do you want to know why Superman was so incredibly powerful to me and why I've always put him as, like, I've worn the clothes and I've, and I've joked around that I'm Superman? You want to know why? It's not because he was famous. 
It's not because he flew through the air. It's not because he had all that power. It's because he helped others. And he goes, that's why I'm in med school, Mom. I want to help others. And I thought, God, see, God, you parented when I messed up. God, you took what I couldn't even do right. And you redeemed it. And you grew identity into my son. That I even as a parent failed to do. So thank you, God. Thank you for that. And I wanted to tell you that story because there is hope. It doesn't matter if your kids are 35 years old. Or if they're four years old. God is walking along this journey with you. Even when you misstep, he redeems. Even when you cause damage, he restores. He is in this with you. So you are not alone and don't quit in the process and lean on him as you parent. All right, last thing in that, in that scripture in uh, Matthew, it says about uh, when Jesus, when Jesus places their hand, his hands on them. So first he says, let the little children come unto me for the kingdom of God is theirs. Then he places his hands on them. Do you know what he was doing? He was giving them a rabbinical blessing. It was actually a thing, a custom of the time. And it was honored to the child, but it also gave the child a picture of their destiny, of who they would become. It's an incredible gift that we don't do in America very much, but I'm going to just say right here, this is an important thing for you fathers to do. I'm not, uh, mothers, absolutely, if you're a single parent here, yes, this is important for you to do as well. But there is something about a father speaking into their child and even their children's children this way that's incredibly impactful. And and my husband was really good at this. This wasn't an everyday thing. As a matter of fact, it was rare. But it was a moment in time where Paul would look at our kids, any of them, uh, my sons and my daughter, and he'd, he'd stop everything and he'd come up to them and he would put his hand on their shoulder and he would just look them in the eye real close and he'd say, Mitchell, I am proud of you. I am proud of you, son. And that was it. Those were moments sometimes where my husband's voice would crack, where he would show emotion. And my husband does not show emotion. He is not comfortable with that. Because there was something that he saw in the kids. It wasn't on their achievements. It wasn't on whatever they did in the basketball game. That's not what he did. This wasn't that moment. This was something independent of what they did. It was something that my husband would see in them. Something that reflected Jesus. Something that was powerful. And he would say, I am proud of you. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. And he blessed them. And we need to get back to a culture of blessing in our homes. Because we've lost that. So this conversation about family is um, important to keep in in the forefront of our mind as we think about how to use our time and how to speak identity and how to bless our kids. And I've, uh, we're going to end today with a song called You Can Have It All. And this song really is the picture of us surrendering because here's, here's the most important thing we need to know as we leave this room as parents or in any relationship that we have. It's this. God was the first parent and our kids ultimately belong to him. And he doesn't need to be reminded of that. He knows that, but you and I need to be reminded of that, that our kids are God's first, ours second. So what does it look like to lay our families down at his feet and to let him teach us what wisdom looks like as we parent and as we're in relationship with those we love? Let's sing together.
relationships and all the things that are in front of us. I just want to say this verse over us today. Let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.